0: And you throw it away. It's a fucking set piece.
1: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks. And I'm joined by the Adam Reach from 12 Yards Out to my Adam Reach from 25 Yards Out. It's Justin Peach.
2: Good day to you, Ryan. Merry Christmas. Merry
1: belated Christmas to you, Justin. Did Santa get you everything you wanted?
2: I didn't ask for anything specifically, but, oh. you know, Derby nearly got a result, so that that, that that have helped.
1: That's good enough for you. We're joined on the show today by Jacob Robinson from a Norwich podcast Canary cast. Merry belated Christmas to you, Jacob. Did Santa get you everything you wanted?
3: Uh, Merry-belated Christmas to you, and uh, no, because we were as poor as I can remember, so not very good, but uh, in terms of everything else, in terms of the bigger picture, yeah, not too bad, thank you very much, mate.
1: Lovely. We also have with us Stephen Topliss from the Forest Ramble. Merry-belated Christmas to you, Stephen. Did Santa get you
4: everything you wanted? Uh, Merry Christmas and uh, nil-nil draw against Birmingham City. Not many chances. wasn't on my Christmas list, to be honest, <laughs> but, uh, in true Forest style.
1: Standard. Right, on the show today we've got 10 games to go through after a couple were called off because of Covid. We also have all the news from the past week and of course Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. But we'll start off with a massive game from Boxing Day. Watford won Norwich 0, Ismail Assar with the goal. And it was clear Santa turned up at Vicarage Road because Justin, he gave the Hornets the gift of a much needed win.
2: As the new manager that helps, but you know not much has changed really from the Ivić, because you know Iwicz famously said earlier on in the season that it's 1-0 is his favourite scoreline but it was a very good performance from, from Watford because they managed to shut out a very I wouldn't say on form Norwich attack but uh, a Norwich attack boasting quite a few of the key players. Um, they, they reduced Norwich to uh, um, 14 shots, well most of them came outside the box so a very efficient performance from the Hornets.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Watford, I thought, looked instantly much better under their new manager, Isko Munoz, in his first game in charge. They were playing with a lot more attacking freedom than what we saw under Vladimir Ivich. From your perspective as a Norwich fan, Jacob, it must be pretty annoying that Watford decided to change their manager just before you
2: played them.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a bit of a moment of, OK, they're going to up their game a lot more. They obviously were poor against Huddersfield when Ivic's last game and you're thinking, this is a chance for ourselves, 12 points clear of, well, you argue probably up there with Bournemouth the biggest promotion rival we've got this season and yeah I think it helped Watford were good but it helped that Norwich were seemed I think the best word to describe is very lacklustre
1: yeah definitely I can't really recall any really good chances that Norwich had the biggest moment of the game from the Canaries perspective was when Pookie was six yards out before being stopped by Adam Messina Jacob was that a clear penalty or the best tackle ever
3: uh, I'm going to say very good tackle Timu Pukki should score <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'd say a beautiful ball from Mario like, that is just uh, I never even saw it You it was an incredible pass and yeah Timu just didn't look on it again yesterday a couple of dodgy touches but yeah I think just about he gets away with it the tackle from Bind always dangerous but yeah very good tackle
1: very good tackle. This result brings to an end an extraordinary run of form for Norwich. Five straight wins prior to this game. Just your second loss in 17. Four points clear at the top. It's been remarkable. But if you had to pick out the main weakness at the moment in this Norwich side, what would you say it is?
3: <sighs> it's a tricky one. Don't want to pick out individual players because obviously Michael McGovern's only just come back in. But yesterday you should probably get that cross Defensively, it's always been our issue. It has been since Daniel Farkas come in. And as you saw yesterday, Watford were quite basic in terms of getting in behind. You know, we, we take the full backs forward quite quickly. hour and Arndt out of space. And then against Zimmerman and um, Hanley, it was quite easy for Deaney and um, Gray to get in behind. That's probably the main issue, really, when we come up against teams that can actually cope with us and have good enough midfielders to cope with us in the middle. You you throw a blanket over Norwich, it's very, very centrally based. You push us out wide, ask us to put crosses in, and we, we don't look like scoring from those crosses. It really is as simple as that. That's why we struggled to score last year in the Prem, because, again, what teams did. And Watford are still a very, very good side with good players, and that's all they had to do. Push us out wide and then play it in behind our, our full-backs. And it really is as simple as that, really.
1: Yeah, I'd say the defence is clearly the weakness for Norwich, really. They concede plenty of chances, which quite often just don't get taken. And yeah. that's probably one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, why I said a few weeks ago that I thought Norwich were a bit fortunate to be top. Not lucky, but <laughs> fortunate. Uh, I'll say this. I think for, I think Norwich won't get nearly as many points in the second half of the season as they have done in the first. I, I, whether Norwich go up or not, I think will largely depend on whether another side picks up a run of form because they've managed to build up a head of steam in this first half of the season and got themselves a good little total so far. One of those sides could be Watford. First impressions, Justin? Munoz's style of play seems to suit how they should be playing for a side gunning for promotion, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, the, the the Watford players it, it, it just seems like a very simple setup. You can play a four, four, two of them. You've got Gray and Deaney up front, you've got Ken Semmer on one wing and you know, potentially Keener or whoever else on the other wing. It seems like a very functional team to play. But if it was chopping and changing, it just needed to be simplified. A bit like when Pearson came in last season in the Premier League, he just simplified things, got them working hard, and that's essentially you know what you do out of this Watford team. You can do that, and you get players like Ismail Asar into the game. You know he scored. It was, it was, it, I wouldn't say it was textbook um, Watford, but it was a, it was a left-footed cross, as um, as Jacob was saying. They got him behind the defence, put the ball across the box, and it was a tap-in. Um, that's that's basically where I see Watford going forward because they've got the players to do it. And as I say, just simplifying it was was the best way to go, and that's what he's done. And he's got he's got a result in his first game.
1: Yeah, Stephen. Let's talk about your game. Forest nil. Birmingham, nil. I um... <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't
4: really add much more than that, to be honest. It no. Yeah.
1: Should we just leave it there? Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris Utah versus Ito Karanka. I don't know why, for any second, I thought this game would be anything other than nil-nil. Yeah. But in fairness, Forrest, I thought, probably should have won here. They had the better chances, didn't they?
4: They did, yeah. They had a couple of, of good opportunities. Ryan Yates had... Um, a volley in the first half that was saved by Neil Etheridge, and he made a couple of saves through the game, uh, particularly in the second half. A big one from Figueroa, which was hit straight at him, but he he still made the save. And yeah, Birmingham didn't have all that much in terms of, of going forward. And I talk ranker actually said after the game he was pretty much coming with the intention of keeping a clean sheet, which which he managed to do. So it it kind of summed up an issue that we've had all season where we create chances but we don't put them away. Uh, yesterday we were okay in that Birmingham didn't score but one of the, the main problems we've had all season is not scoring ourselves and then the opposition score and the heads drop and we, we don't look like getting anything from the game. So that is hopefully something which which Chris Hewton is going to eventually turn around and perhaps from January onwards you know, we we start taking chances when we're on top.
1: Yeah, are you seeing signs of improvement over the past few games? You've managed to avoid defeat in your last three now. So, would you say Houghton is starting to get the cogs turning at the City
4: Ground? Yeah, the, the, there's little signs that he's starting to turn it round, particularly uh, attacking-wise. Even though it's not his fault, the players are not putting the ball in the back of the net. We do have a bit more about us going forward. Um, there are signs that attack wise we are improving um there are aspects of the team though that that still need work, and that's the midfield. There's not enough creativity in there defensively we're not too bad the The goals we can see tend to be from individual mistakes as opposed to you know the team as a whole not being set up correctly but um that's where I'm hopeful in January that shooting is given a. The opportunity to bring some players in to to just carry on that work he started and, and to make those tweaks that are needed.
1: Yeah, you mentioned January, and Forrest have been a bit shy when it comes to getting players in, haven't they? Just the 61 signings in the last six transfer windows, which is an average of 10 signings a transfer window. Um, do you think that will continue next month?
4: I, I think I, I don't particularly want it to. I, I you know, it's <laughs> important we we find some settled. You know, a settled team from somewhere, but it, it, it's just indicative of of the way the club's been run. We've gone through a couple of managers. If you if you take into account Karanka, O'Neill, and then Lamucci, they all wanted to bring in their own players. Um, it, it does show you as well, perhaps, how short sighted the the transfer dealings in the summer were. When if Lamucci was going to go after four or five games, why would you allow him to bring in the best part of twelve? 13 players over the summer, it would have made more sense to to get Chris Hutton in at the end of last season and give him the opportunity to build a squad in his style because he's basically taken on a new team plus all those signings and he's trying to get something out of them, which he's made some improvements, but you can tell that these are not his players. Anthony Knockhart's the only signing he's made and he, for me, at times has been the best player on the pitch. So it, for me in January, I think Houston just needs a couple of players to hopefully uh, turn that those performances into better results and, and get us away from, from trouble.
1: Yeah, of course. Sixty-one signings in six transfer windows. is amazing. That's that's three squads, isn't it, for season? It's amazing. Uh, yes. Justin, anything you want to say from a Birmingham perspective? They didn't really threaten Forest too much here, did they?
2: What Stephen said that Karanka came to keep a clean sheet. I you know. I, I don't know if you saw my face. I winced a little bit because I'm just I'm looking at the attacking three behind Scott Hogan, in Jeremy Bella, um, Ivan Sanchez, and Alan Hilalovic. and I'm thinking that's a, you know it's a very good flair based you know attacking trio you've got to be getting a lot more you, you can't be you can't be going to teams like I don't want to say teams like Forest but teams that are down there like Forest you know they've got Derby in the next couple of weeks you can't be going into those games thinking we best we need to keep a clean sheet you have to be going into those games needing to win because you know Birmingham a bit like QPR they're in a position where they can look; it can start to look very uncomfortable for them because they're getting dragged down. So for me, it's not good enough to be wanting to just keep a clean sheet against a team that doesn't score many goals.
1: Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And the thing is with Karanka, he seems to just be happy to keep a clean sheet in every game, no matter how many goals you score. Mm. It's, it's a bit negative, isn't it? It's but frustrating. It, Yeah, it has proven effective in the past. But either way, Jacob, Stephen, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on when we play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, Justin and I are going to take you around the grounds in our second tier sleigh. And we shall start off with the best game of Boxing Day, Cardiff 2, Brentford 3. We're joined by Billy Grant from the Brentford podcast Be Sotted. And this game was all about one man Billy, the hat-trick hero, Sergi Canos.
0: With Sergi, it's been coming, he's been trying so hard. He's he's had a terrible injury, he's been out for I think it's over a year, and he's been trying to play his way back in. And, and following the footsteps also of Saeed Ben which hasn't been easy, it's got to be said. Sergi, he's a quality player. But you know, people, you know, including ourselves there at Beside as well, we were wondering if those days were past him. Sergi's always been a real fans favourite and one player who really responds to the crowd. It hasn't really helped at all that there's been no fans in the stadium for him to rally and for them to rally him. But when fans were let in the stadium for the Blackburn game, his form noticeably rose and he scored a splendid goal and then he cried. It's been coming for Sergi. He's just needed a break and fair play to Thomas Frank for sticking with him. Uh, admittedly, he got some horrendous abuse from beast fans. And this is not criticism we're talking about. We're talking about nasty, nasty abuse we're talking. But he's rode all of that. He's rode the bad luck. He's rode the tough times. And he's going to be a lot better player because of it.
1: Yeah, you mentioned him stepping into the shoes of side Ben Rama, Obviously, it's massive shoes to fill. But do you think he's capable of doing it?
0: Sergi is a different player. I mean, ben Rama, yes, he was unique. And he was a kingpin at Brentford. He's, he's, he's filling his boots because that slot is vacant at the moment, that left-wing spot. Uh, Sergi is actually traditionally a right-winger, so it's finding a place for him and Bumo in the same side. But yesterday, fair to Sergey, he was all over the gaff. He was on the left, he was on the right, he was central, he was being an absolute pest. We've discussed on our podcast how crucial a player Ben Rama was, creating something out of nothing. We were at times a lot safer now in the middle of the park. Ben Rama had a tendency to to lose the ball if his tricks didn't come off, and that would see us conceding a goal with the opposition on the break. Canos was at the beginning of the season, and sort of a few months ago, He's also losing the ball in dangerous areas and conceding free kicks in the wrong places, which brought him, you know, a fair bit of criticism from the fans, which is fair enough. But he's been learning, and he seems to be cutting that out of his game a lot more. So if he can continue to do that, whilst creating magic moments like he did against Blackburn and Cardiff, he could be a real weapon in the Bees armoury.
1: Of course, Billy, and 14 games unbeaten now for Brentford. I assume you've got your eyes set on an automatic
0: promotion place now. We always start slowly every year. The difference? This year we're much more resolute, but we lost a quarter of our games 1-0 last season and that was our Achilles heel despite being second, I think, in in the Stats XG chart for most of the season. This season we're still top of that Stats XG chart, if you believe that sort of thing. So we're not much different than we were last season on paper, just on the eye. But what we seem to be able to do is combat the teams who want to give us a good kicking, <laughs> like Cardiff yesterday. It has to be said, they're pretty feisty. Any other season, we would have lost that game, especially after going 1-0 down. But last season, we probably peaked a little early. And this season, it looks like the stars are aligning at the, at the right time. Pontus Jansen's is just coming back to tighten up the defence. Christian Norgard has reappeared after three months out. Our, our dip in form actually coincided with Norgard's injury, but saying that, Jan there has been a revelation. As Bees fans, we're keeping cool because we've been there before and there's a long, long way to go.
1: Cheers, Billy. That is Billy from the Brentford Podcast Be Sotted. Justin, this game had two wonder goals in it. Will Volks scoring from his own half and Sergei Kanos' volley from outside of the box. The question is, which one would you say was better?
2: The the Sergei Kanos one takes more technique than the Will Volks one. I'm not I'm not trying to discredit Will Volks, but Anyone can score a punt from the halfway line when the keeper's 30 yards off his line. That is genuine. The technique Canos put out was much more difficult than the Volks one.
1: I love how you said, I don't want to discredit real Volks, and then you instantly immediately, discredited immediately. his goal. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think they were both spectacular goals. Yeah. I'm not going to take anything away from Volks. I thought it was a lovely goal. Um, but I, I'd say the Canos one was harder. Hmm. Because if you got the same player to do the same thing in the same situation, you'd be able to do the Volks goal more than the Canos goal, if you know what I
2: mean. Yeah, the, the way I'm going to like it is, I could do the Volks one, but I'd find it difficult to do the Canos one. Same goes for you.
1: Okay. I, I, I'm i not sure I'd be able to reach the goal from the halfway line, <laughs> but there you go. Um, either way, a massive win for Brentford who are now bearing down
2: on the top two, aren't they, Justin? It is, and um, it's almost, I'm almost eating my words a little bit with them, because you know, I was I criticised them because I didn't think they were as good, but you know, I've spoken to Biddy himself a couple of times with it, and they, they've just shifted the way they've played. There's a bit more control about them. I'd argue that they're better now than they were last season, and obviously one of the issues they had earlier on in the season is there weren't too many players contributing. Well, now you've got Sergei Kanos, who's coming into his own. Um, you've got players like Jannot, who's brought a lot more balance to this team. So for me, they're a lot better now than they were last season, and, and really they're probably much better equipped to make an assault on the automatics um going into going into the January transfer window because they're only going to they're only going to improve this side, are not they? they're not going to get rid of anybody
1: it's an interesting debate because i think Ivan Tony has replaced Ollie Watkins hasn't he mm. but for me Saeed Ben Rama was just so good yeah. last season but at the same time he did go off the ball a couple of times as well so mm. I, I can see what you mean um either way i think it says a lot about the amount of quality brentford have when they can give someone like Josh De Silva a rest and still win against a good Cardiff side. For Cardiff, you look at this loss, well, I look at this loss in two ways, really. The first way is they lost to an informed Brentford side who won with a goal, which was probably a cross. <laughs> mm-hmm. The second way is they didn't really create many chances and perhaps the scoreline flattered them a bit. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Um they're relatively blunt again. I said this last week, didn't I, about the open play, you know, scoring goals from open play. You know, other than set pieces, you know, what did they offer? You know, they scored from a throw-in, and they scored from a punt from the halfway line. Um, it's 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 the same. It's it's not good. It feels like they're trying to avoid losing games. And I know they've, as I said, they've come across uh, an informed Brentford team here, but they they've now suffered three defeats in four, all against teams in the top six, and now twelfth. Defensively, they look very average. And as I say, going forwards, they're just scoring from set pieces. That's the only time they look a real threat. <laughs> you know, if this Cardiff side has any aspiration of finishing the top six, they have to stop playing percentage football. Mm.
1: They do need to beat the sides above them, don't they? But Swansea, Norwich, and Brentford, those three losses in four games, the fixtures don't get much trickier than that. No. And they have got Wickham and Rotherham coming up. So you'd have thought they'd be able to turn it around but the bar once again calls for Neil Harris to be sacked which I suppose is always going to come after you lose three games in four. Swansea, they're up to second after a 2-0 win over QPR. Tom Morgan is from Total Swans TV and a fairly comfortable win in the end, wasn't it Tom?
5: By the final whistle and looking at the result a 2-0 victory away at QPR on Boxing Day um, it does seem pretty comfortable to be fair to QPR they did make it a very difficult game for us. Um, we, we managed to control the game very well, which was exactly what we've been doing uh, under Steve Cooper this season. You know, Not rushing opportunities, not rushing in defence, just waiting for that right opportunity and trying to be clinical when we do get it. Uh, thankfully, the game, as you say, it, it looks like it was a comfortable one, but in all fairness to Cooper, they did cause us a lot of trouble. But we managed the game well and we managed to see it out. Um and we took our chances when we could and we won 2-0. So yeah, it does it it was a fairly comfortable boxing day win.
1: Yeah, Jamal Lowe got on the score sheet again. He's now got four in his last four games and he was getting a bit of stick from Swansea fans, wasn't he? But now it looks like a completely different player.
5: Yeah, I think that's fair to say Jamal has received a little bit of stick from, you know, a small section of Swansea fans, but I think it's more of a want for him to do well. And um, we've signed, you know, cheaper or and free transfer attackers in the past. Um, and they've just not worked out for us and I think we just we just don't want that same thing to happen with Jamal um you know he had the qualities at Wigan he scored 6 goals there last season he's already equaled his tally for for last season um as you say four goals in four games uh, the two against Cardiff just set him off running and since then he's been absolutely superb for us um, but even before getting his his brace against Cardiff um he really just does not stop running between him and Andre the amount mm-hmm. of uh, the amount of grass that they cover per game the work rate the hold up play uh, the the speed on the boy is frightening so he's going to be a massive asset to us this season um, and he's getting the goals so hopefully we can just stick with him and he can get a few more
6: and
1: finally Tom you're up to second now did you expect Steve Cooper to be doing as good a job as he's doing now considering how many players you've lost over the past year and a half as well he's doing a marvelous job isn't he
5: yeah, absolutely. Um, Cooper, the, the staff, the players, everybody involved um, last season and this season have done absolutely superb. Um, when he first joined the team, I'm not going to lie, um, I hadn't really heard of him. You look into his, his history and you think, OK, he's done wonders with youngsters, which is what we had at the time. Uh, a couple of experienced heads last season, not so much so this, this year. Um, a lot of youngsters coming through, a lot of youngsters being brought in on loan. Um, thankfully, a lot of players that Steve is familiar with and has worked with previously. Um, and he's getting the best out of them every game. You know, we're sitting in second now, um, conceding only 12 goals. We're doing fantastic. He's definitely getting the best out of the team. Um, did I expect us to be in second place just at Christmas time? No. Honestly, I didn't. But the way that we've been playing this season, without the ball, with the ball, the defensive um, work rate that we put in, we deserve to be there at the moment. And Steve Cooper deserves all the praise that he gets, along with the players and the coaching staff.
1: Cheers, Tom. Yeah, Steve Cooper doing a magnificent job, isn't he,
2: Justin? <laughs> yes, duh. <laughs> of course he is. He's he's uh, he's unbelievable. Uh, eleven, uh, 11 11 out of 12 wins this season have come with clean sheets, 7 of those, uh, seven of those 11 have come have been you know, 2 goals to nil. It's unbelievable play and they've been without Gibbs White who was looking a real player uh, at one point before he got injured, they sold Joe Roden um, and the, the, the two strikers are uh, 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 Andre Ayo and Jamal Lowe, they're being used as auxiliary strikers. You know, on paper, they've got no right to be where they are. But Steve Cooper's showing how much talent he's got, and he's eking every ounce of talent out of this side. is is such a good job.
1: Yeah, Liam on Twitter said the performance was ruthless. Jeremy on Twitter called it industrious. Uh, since Steve Cooper came in, Swansea have sold fifty million pounds worth of players and only spent one and a half million on transfer fees. If you I'd said that about a side challenging for the playoffs this season. It would be impressive enough. But the fact they're now second is remarkable. It's a young side as well, apart mm-hmm. from Andre Ayou and Ryan Bennett. The team is mainly made up of lads in their early to mid-twenties. He has no right to be doing a job as good he is right now. It's, it's amazing. The team operates like a well-oiled machine. You've got the wing-backs giving you plenty of width, the engine room in the middle of the park, and then a strong foundation at the back with the best defence in the league, five clean sheets in the last six games as well. How many teams over the years have we seen come down from the Premier League and struggle on the pitch and behind the scenes financially? Swansea have got it sorted out. They they, they I'm sure I mean sure they've not got back to the Premier League yet, but they're being so well run. Everyone at the club deserves a massive round of applause because They are doing things right. But they have got big games coming up against Reading and Watford over the New Year period. Uh, Jordan on Twitter said QPR were woeful. Lenny said the performance was adios. Don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. QPR are now 19th, (laughs) winless in eight. And it's getting to the point where we're asking, why hasn't Mark Warburton been sacked yet?
2: Yeah. You know, I I think his position is close to untenable. Um it's been a wild ride, hasn't it? It's been you know, magnificent at times and terrible at times. It's been it's been crazy. But um it's now got to a point where it's terrible. Performance of uh, performances have been very poor and at no point has this side looked like they've improved upon last year. Simply, they've just got worse. Um and yeah, they've come up against a good side in Swansea, but they're sinking and sinking into a very uncomfortable position. They had just one shot on target and that was in the fifth minute. So the next eighty five minutes, pudding. Absolutely nothing. Um and they went th- they went to a three four three as well. They're chopping and changing things, and that's what Vladimir Ivich and Philip Kokki were doing at a point where you know, things got really bad for them. And the more that happens, for me, the less likely you are to know your best team, formation and system. And when you are three or four months into a season, that's not good enough. You know, it's, it's time to change.
1: Did you call the performance pudding?
2: I did. I've heard my dad say what is that, that a lot. I don't know. Oh,
1: OK. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 it's clearly not working, is it? The players look down in confidence and it doesn't seem like it's changing anytime soon. They've scored two in their last six games. And as you mentioned, Warburton's tried changing systems to see if that produces results, but it seems as if he's running out of ideas. And I do wonder if the club are waiting until they play Norwich in the week, because you don't want to give a new manager that is his first game in charge. After that, the fixtures do ease up afterwards. But here I am. I'm speaking as if he's already gone. And that shows his position is untenable, really, at this point. If they don't make a change soon, they could very easily. Get dragged into a relegation battle, which shouldn't really be happening with the side Mm -hmm. that QPR have got in front of them. Reading are sixth after beating Luton 2 1, a lovely taken goal by Tom McIntyre amongst them. But Luton had a fair few chances and also had a shout for a penalty, which the referee deemed to be outside the box, but quite simply wasn't. (laughs) Alex Everson from the Reading podcast, Elm Park Royals. Alex, do you think you were maybe a bit lucky here?
7: So I wouldn't say Reading were lucky yesterday, I think it was a case of Luton probably just didn't turn up until the game was kind of already over at 2-0. And uh, yes, they pushed forward in the second half and created a few chances, but it never felt like they were really going to get themselves back into the game. The penalty shout in the first half was definitely a penalty. Um, Luton can consider themselves unlucky not to have had that. I think Luton's chances that they did create, there was a, I think there was one really big chance they had late on in the game. Um, Outside that, it never really felt like Luton were particularly threatening, despite the fact that they were pushing forward for the entire second half. And um, I think they just they came into the game probably just too late to, to be able to try and get anything out of it, unfortunately for them. Yeah, it's only your
1: second win in your last five games and the injuries to Zhao and Meite have had a massive impact on your form, haven't they?
7: Yeah, injuries have been a major problem over the last month. Uh, as you say, Zhao and Meite both out, but we've also now lost Liam Moore. Uh, Omar Richards is still out, Andy Yardim is still out. John Swift only had his first game back yesterday. Um, I could go on, I think there's I think there's seven or eight first-team players who legitimately could all be in the first 11 at the minute who are injured so um the fact that we're even able to put out a competitive side is is surprising at the moment we've only won two of the last five games and we're really not creating very much from open play at the moment with those with those players out the the form is a little concerning but i guess we have played norwich and brentford in our last five games we've won two the only the only other game was birmingham at home which was a loss and That's probably the only surprise result out of the five, in all honesty. So I'm not too concerned about the form at the moment. I think hopefully once we start to get these players back, it will be a bit more of a straightforward task to be able to create from open
1: play. Yeah, Reading is still sat in the top six for now. What's the general feeling around the fan base? Do you reckon you'll be able to stay there, or do you fear that there are better teams
7: around you? I think there's probably a small group of teams who sit above us in the table and at the moment who are probably a better side than we are, and I think most Reading fans will probably accept it and admit it. But I don't think there's any real Reading fans out there who, who think, once we've got Zhao and once we've got Mete and Richards back in the side, who think that we're at least not able to compete at that end of the table and, and be in and around that playoff mix still. Um, so I think that the mood is pretty upbeat still, despite the fact that we're perhaps struggling with these injuries
1: cheers Alex apologies listener if Alex wasn't sounding very clear there he was having a couple of problems with his mic but at least we got to hear from him uh, first point I want to make about this game Justin is that 75% of Reading's defence were called Thomas which is oh, interesting Yeah. Uh, the Luton penalty decision was pretty blatantly wrong wasn't it the referee deemed it to be outside the box but it was quite clearly in
2: yeah yeah it was um, we're, we're seeing these things happen More and more, and I tweeted yesterday that what managers should be doing, like Nuno Santo, uh, the Wolves manager did um, the other week, you you just got to call them out. Now you've got to call them out and say this isn't good enough because that's the only way things are going to get pushed through. Um, And you know these these things have got to stop happening. Basically, they're they're too obvious. They're too obvious. That's the issue.
1: But the thing is, managers do call these decisions out, but they'll often just get in trouble and nothing gets done. So if you were a manager you'd be asking what's the point
2: well i suppose but you just take the fine and just call it out because some some you know managers like Jose Mourinho sometimes just do it just to be a bit of a shit house but you've got to you've got to call out incompetence where you see incompetence because for a manager you know for example if a manager is incompetent you get a sack simple as that but the
1: freeze is not the case
2: no exactly they they're, they're, in, a, they're in a protected bubble that's what that's the issue at the moment
1: yeah, they, you're absolutely right. And referees, quite a few, have done plenty of high-profile mistakes. haven't they? I don't want to name any names, but there's been a few this season who seem to make mistake after mistake, but nothing ever gets done about it. Um, and I suppose it's the same with players as well, aren't they? If a player keeps playing terribly, then... They get dropped and maybe have to drop down a couple of leagues. But with referees, it's completely different. Mm -hmm. They can continue to make mistakes and everyone just forgets about it after the weekend. It just goes back to their lives. But nothing gets done about it. And we are just stuck with the shoddy standard of officiating in the championship.
2: Endless cycle of frustration and anger and incompetence. Yeah,
1: absolutely right. Alex just then made a very valid point that it seems like we're starting to see a bit of a gap open up at the top of the championship between the top 5 teams jostling out for the top 2 and it could very well end up with the case of there being just one playoff spot left with about eight teams fighting for that sixth place would you agree that's the case
2: yeah i think so obviously as you said you know we're seeing the top 5 break out Watford Brentford Bournemouth Swansea Norwich seeing them sort of open up not open up a gap but they're the clear you know, better sides, and then you've got the teams that have a little bit of inconsistency in, you know, the Stokes, the Reddings, Borough, Bristol City, um, even Barnsley are creeping up as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's certainly going to be in a very interesting few months because there are teams like Blackburn who have dropped off, teams like Cardiff who we know can do better. It's yeah, it's going to be a very exciting end, and as you say, you know, there's going to be one place at the end of the end of the season for the playoffs. It's it's going to be very very tricky um, for teams to get into it. I'll tell
1: you what, we said this last season with uh, Forrest, West Brom, Brentford, Leeds and Fulham, and then Forrest completely capitulated. So you can't rule that out. Um, But either way, Luton fans, they weren't too happy with the team selection from Nathan Jones here. They felt the likes of Ken Dewsbury Hall should have been starting and he is a terrific player in fairness. But it is two wins from 11 games now and Luton are slowly sliding down the table a bit. Is there anything to be worried about, do you think?
2: I don't think it is. They're probably starting to level out after some early season promise. Um, you know, it's it's been a it's a it's been a bad run of form, but it's probably become a, it's probably come at a good time because it's probably highlighted a lot of areas for Nathan Jones to sort of look at in the January transfer window and see where he can plug gaps. Because as you say, defensively, yeah, especially away from home, where they were so good at one point, you know, they've now just won two away games in the last ten away games. After that's you know really early. Good uh, away form under Nathan Jones, it's just dropped off. You know why? Why is that the case? Why are they starting to concede goals quite easily as well? You know, the the goal from McIntyre was was great, but it's from a set piece; it can be avoided. So the, you know, it's never a good time to come uh, to have a bad run of form. But it's probably come at a good time. That it's come now, where Nathan Jones can address it in the transfer window.
1: Yeah, I can see what you mean. The the only issue is Luton aren't exactly blessed True. with stacks of cash, are they? So th- they quite often have to rely on free transfers or players whose contracts are coming to an end, so... Unless they have got a list of names already sorted out, then they may be scrambling around a bit in January. Right. We had a Yorkshire derby between Barnsley and Huddersfield, which finished 2-1 to the Reds. Barnsley's fourth win in their last five games. Carlo van der Watering is from Reds Report and your boys are flying at the moment, aren't they, Carlo?
6: Yesterday's victory 2-1 over Huddersfield saw and Ismael's ninth win in just 14 games and most importantly quite a few of those we actually went behind as we did yesterday. Um, On the pitch he's still got the same players he started with, he's not been through a transfer season yet but I think what he's done it's mentally. Uh, They play for the 92-93 minutes that they're supposed to do. And um, there is a never-say-die attitude, there is a togetherness, and you saw that yesterday when a central defender chips in with two goals on the Yorkshire Derby on Boxing Day, bringing another three points to Barnsley.
1: Yeah, we've been saying loads how remarkable a turnaround it is under Valerie and Ishmael, considering Barnsley were in the bottom three after the first few games of the season, but now as you say, they're in the top ten, could the playoffs be a possibility?
6: Normally you would say that on current form, yeah, the playoffs would probably be possible. However, this is Barnsley FC and I remember quite a few years ago Paul Hackingbottom um, being in or around the top ten in January and then having the heart ripped out of his team uh, when all of the best performing players were sold to other clubs. So uh, January is very, very important on two different fronts. First of all, I think we play three out of the top six in the month of January and also, of course, the transfer window. Will Alex Mowat stay? That's one of them. We know Corley Woodrow's dedicated the next few years to player Barnsley. Will Mowat stay? Will there be a bid come in for Callum Styles? The business model at Barnsley is we develop players and then we sell them on, which is a great model when it works. But if you sell them on midway during a season when we're doing really well, that could have an influence, of course, how the rest of the season pans out. And um, If we can add to the players that we've got and not lose any of the key members, um, there's nothing really stopping us making a charge um, towards the playoffs.
1: So what are the additions you need in next month?
6: Whilst well, so the results have been really good, I think if you look at the expected goals in a match uh, on our performance, Coley Woodrow is by far the standout performer. The other strikers on the pitch on a regular base, basis sorry, and Freezer, Chaplin, Adebayejo, they've scored two each. So what we need is um, another striker up there with Coley Woodrow. Uh, On a personal level, um, I think that needs to be a boxman. Coley Woodrow is normally in or around the box and often balls straight in front get missed. Whilst we've got a lot of choice in midfield, I reckon quite a few of those will either be leaving or go out on loan. Uh, Matty James's loan expires, is that going to be extended? Until the end of the season, but I think definitely um, centre back up front and uh, maybe at right back as well. Cheers, Carlo, Justin.
1: I am just staggered at how well Barnsley are doing at the moment. I know I keep going on about it on this show, but they're the team in the whole championship who I can't help but feel most excited about at the moment.
2: It's it's hard not to, isn't it? Because because of the football they play, they're so aggressive they're so you know they press so much and they've got some really good talented young players and one of the things we said is you know if they bring in someone alongside Corley Woodrow they can look a real threat going forward because they can, you know the, light, the lightens the load on, on Woodrow. Helic for example has got more goals than Conor Chaplin this season um, I mean Conor Chaplin looked look fantastic but this is a side that is on the up it's it's certainly on the up and it's, it's going to be hard to stop it's the first time in three years as well that Barnsley have come from behind to win a game, which shows that the yeah it shows that the, the, the men, uh, mentality shifting um, under the uh, you know within the last sort of year or so, and it's slowly improving all the time. And Ishmael, he's he's got them playing, he's got them playing really well.
1: He really has. They're playing exciting, attacking football. They've really put Huddersfield to the sword in this game. And as regular listeners know, that keeps happening with Barnsley. And it's a young side as well. There's so much to like about this team. And they're only marching faster and faster towards the playoffs at the moment. They're sprinting. They are. The main concern, as Carly was just saying, is if they lose someone like Alex Maurer in January, mm-hmm. his deal runs out in the summer, so they could be forced to sell him. However, knowing Barnsley's recruitment, they'll probably just find an Austrian version of him somewhere in the second tier
2: or something. Yeah. I'd say they've, they've got Herbie Kane and Matty James, so and Clem Styles is a central midfielder. Uh, he's yeah. one of the best wing backs in the league this season, but he's he's a he's a central midfielder. It's his bread and butter. So there are players in there that can that can come in from our if if there is the need to sell.
1: Yeah, Herbie Kane will probably be the one, isn't he? He looks like the ready made replacement or the long term replacement anyway. Um, and Matty James, his loan is only till January, so they'll try and get that extended hopefully mm. next month. And um, for Huddersfield, it was probably a bit of a disappointing performance, really, wasn't it? They didn't create too much and. Seem to just be outgunned by a very good Barnsley team.
2: Yeah, you're spot on. You know, I think Barnsley are a lot further down this process than Huddersfield are. Obviously, Huddersfield are very early on in that transition to this high pressing. Um, mm. And I just think, you know, you come across two teams that press the way they do. You know, Barnsley are just better at it. Um, and and it showed the amount of chances Barnsley created. It just wasn't quite right. You know, wasn't quite the right game for Huddersfield. To, to come in, but you know January is coming up. Coroma's out injured. There's an opportunity to strengthen Buildersfield and hopefully, in the long term as well, strengthen in the long term. Don't you know, there's no need to be chasing the playoffs. I think that's probably a step too far for them this season. So yeah, certainly an opportunity to to develop long term uh, under Corbrand. He signed a new deal, which is which is big news as well.
1: Massive news. Right, Justin. Let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about Wednesday, Preston, and Bristol City. It's a little known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten, we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk. In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. We're big fans of classic football shirts here because they offer you classic football shirts at a great price, and it's not just shirts either. Oh no, dear listener! There's also training wear, tracksuits, shorts, socks—you name it—and I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. <laughs> Welcome back to the Second Tier podcast, Blackburn One Wednesday One. By no means a classic, but a valuable draw for Tony Pulis's men, who are now unbeaten in two. <laughs> Not much, but it's progress. Uh, Dan Fudge is from the Wednesday Week podcast. Dan, are you slowly coming round to Pulis ball?
8: Absolutely not yet coming round to Pulis Ball. Um, there was an article in the, in the local press where he said that Blackburn play fast-flowing and expansive football. I think my, my response to that would be, well, well Tony, if that's something that you revere, why don't you play fast-flowing expansive football instead of hoofing it over our best player's head?
1: Huh, fair enough then. What did you make of the game
8: as a whole? There weren't really too many chances, were there? No, there weren't many chances. It's a, it, it it's a byproduct of purest ball. I'm afraid, um, you know, keeping it tight at one end, but also not kicking the ball in the goal at the other. Um, it's it's been a long time since we had a manager who wanted to defend a one 0 lead uh, for the by the skin of their teeth. And the last time we had that was ironically uh, Stuart Gray, who was in charge of uh, Fulham yesterday with uh, with Scott Parker being off. It it it, it was. It's a very negative way of football, and I personally believe that you can't keep out a team for 90 minutes of a game. You know, if, if you get an early goal, you can't keep players out of your goal for, for such a long time. It, it's a ridiculous way of, of, of approaching football. I genuinely hate Tony Pulis. <laughs> oh, Dan. Um... The thing I was saying the other week
1: was that Wednesday's only real chance, seemingly, of staying up is by drawing enough games to overtake someone ahead of them because I just really can't see them winning many games.
8: Do you know what I mean? And that that's my issue with Tony Pulis. To him, a draw is a win. You know, he sees it as one point gained, whereas your average football fan in the street would see it as two points lost, especially when you're 1-0 up from an absolute rip-snorter that Reach scored yesterday. Um, but... You know, if if we were playing the championship equivalent of Man City and took a draw, yes, that's a win. You know what I mean? But we were playing a, a mid-table team yesterday, and we were already winning. And and we decided to just part like the Red Sea at the back. It's I, I I I'm absolutely bereft of of ideas now. I, I I'm really becoming quite disengaged with football on the whole. I'm sorry to hear that, Dan. Let's end on a
1: positive. Did you at least have a nice Christmas?
8: I started to have a nice Christmas, and I uh, self-isolated for four days, So, because my brother lives in South Wales. So I went there, and as I was driving back to Brighton, my car blew up, I left at 3.30 and got home at 2am, and uh, my car is now dead. So, I, I've had a pretty shitty Christmas, if I'm honest. You know, it's like Tony Pulis saying, well, we... Uh, we, we 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 could have won if we'd have scored an extra goal. Well, yeah, Tony. You know, if my uncle had tits, he'd be my auntie as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dan, sorry to, to hear that, mate. It's been a pretty rotten year for all Wednesday fans, I suppose, hasn't it? With results being terrible this year and then COVID as well. Hopefully 2021 is better for Dan and the rest of the Wednesday fan base. One positive, though, was Adam Reach's goal, which is typical Adam Reach just in... He was a screamer from 25 yards out. I, and I just keep having this image in my head of him showing his goals to his grandkids when he's older. And they'll just think he's the best player ever. Because some of the goals he's scored in his career are just remarkable. He, he, he only scores worldies, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, it would be interesting to try and search for goals that are crap that he scored. Mm. Like, a, like a tap-in or maybe one that you know it's hit his knee and it's gone in just one's like that but credit to him because purliss has got the best out of him i he, he looked really he's been really poor for a while now and purliss done well to get to get the best out of him
1: yeah yeah you're, you're actually right he's had a pretty rough 2020 himself as Adam Reach. But since he's come back in, he, he's kind of a ideal Tony, Pu- Tony Pulis wide player in a way, isn't he? Because he's a superb crosser. And if they did have a big Tony Pulis striker in the box, they'd be loving life under Adam Reach. Um, but what did you make of what Dan was saying there? Wednesday pretty much sat back after the goal, didn't they? And it's all a bit negative, really, isn't it?
2: They're, they're not good enough, are they, to defend a lead, yeah, they're down there for a reason defensively they're not up to scratch yet you know you, you compare them to to derby you have kept as many clean sheets as they have under wayne rooney um and they've also not very not conceded many shots on target as well you know that that's that's probably where pudis wants them to go but man for man they're probably not good enough um so it's going to be an interesting january transfer window and it's it's for a lot of teams it's it's a pivotal transfer window It's a, it's a it's a season changing transfer window and you know i'm not trying to downplay it at all by any of the words I'm saying, they they they've got to improve their side because, you know, I, I did like the recruitment in the summer for Wednesday. I thought it was a very functional transfer window. They did what they could, um, but unfortunately, those players just haven't been good enough.
1: Yeah, I, it's weird how we keep mentioning Wednesday and how they sit back in just about every game and don't really go forwards much. Well, they've only kept one clean sheet in the last seven, so even though they are so negative quite frankly they're still not keeping clean sheets
2: Wait, I guess it's a weird position to, to be in because they're not good enough to keep clean sheets they're not good enough to defend leads but they're also not good enough to get a second goal in games No, so it's, such no. A, it's a strange place to be yeah
1: you're absolutely right Joe Rothwell scored an unreal goal of his own for Blackburn a wonderful solo effort where it was like the ball was tied to his foot it was amazing <laughs> but this will have to go down as a very disappointing result for Blackburn who as we've previously established, seem to only pick up wins against teams in the bottom half of the table. And here they didn't even do that.
2: Yeah, and I know we just criticised the Wednesday defence and perhaps a bit of the Pulis ball, but actually, this this Pulis ball was probably made for a team like, made well, made to play well against a team like Blackburn because Blackburn liked to get in behind in stretch games. You know, you're not going to do that against a against Wednesday team who sits so deep. So a solo goal like the one Rothwell pulled out. Was probably the only way they were going to get back into a game, um, and you have to say, had he not done that, it would have been a win for Wednesday. So actually, credit where credits due, I guess, to some extent for Wednesday, but not quite good enough if you're wanting to get into the playoffs for Blackburn.
1: No, Bradley Datt was back though. He's missed a full year of football, so it's a welcome return for him. They badly need him back 100% quickly as possible, though, don't they? Because this Blackburn side, which was free-scoring earlier in the season has just showed signs of struggling a bit recently, mm. especially in the case of Adam Armstrong, who has only got one goal in his last six games now. Still shooting for fun, though. Every time he gets the ball, he just shoots. It's amazing. Uh, Preston made it two wins in two after beating Derby 1-0. Derby were down to 10 men for half the game after Martin Waggon was
2: sent off. Right decision for you? Yeah, it was a terrible tackle. We did the same thing to Ryan Yates, didn't he, in the, um, the Derby against Forest? which is weird saying that, um, against Forrest. He did the same thing. Um, he's just got a bit about him. Not about, he's not an aggressive player. He just sometimes shows a bit of thickness. Um am uh, trying to find a word that is nicer, but it was a thick challenge to make. It simply Clumsy. Simply
1: got... It was a clumsy challenge, once. not Yes. It, in, in a way, it kind of sums up his season so far, really, hasn't it? Because he has been struggling, hasn't he?
2: Yeah. And, you know what, clumsy, yeah. You know the ball's been bouncing off him. Other than those two free kicks against Forest and Cardiff, it's not happened for him.
1: No, not at all. Despite the man advantage, though, Preston struggled to break Derby down, and it took a superb finish by Alan Brown in the ninety seventh minute was it to break mm-hmm. the deadlock. If you were Alex Neal, would you have been pleased with what you saw from your
2: side? Uh, no, not at all. Um, Alex Neal said as much in his post match presser. Um, you know, he said they were quite poor tactically. Um, they switched to a 3-4-3 which um, it worked because it penned RB in but um, individually I thought Preston were really poor You know, individual players, I think the ball was bouncing off M. Maurice Jacobson he had a shot at one point where it just went wayward and Stockley as well they didn't really get the ball into Stockley at all so yeah you know he made the changes but the players didn't come up good, it wasn't good enough from, from Preston, they're, they're quite fortunate to get the win really
1: Yeah, Preston fans were telling us it was a pretty dreadful performance from them as a whole, really. Uh, Dave said it was toothless, which is one way of putting it, I suppose. Um, A win's a win, and it's two wins in two, which has done a world of good for easing the pressure on Alex Neal. Still a long way to go, isn't there, for the season not to be classed as a disappointment, which so far... It looks like it is. Bristol City got their first win in four games by beating Wickham 2-1. Similar to Preston, really. Not a particularly dazzling
2: win, but a win is a win. It is. And Orange Jeju plucks up with a, a late winner again. And he is the, the man. He is the man. He's a hero. Uh, other than that wayward uh, overhead kick they got sent off for the other week. He's been pretty good, a pretty effective player off the bench. Um, and you know, I said a couple of weeks ago that they're limping to the January transfer window. You know, they they really are, and this win sort of proves it because I thought Wickham were 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 fairly unfortunate in some ways to to, to come away with defeat. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a, a rough two months for Bristol City.
1: It really has. Uh, Bristol City fans they weren't particularly impressed with this game. Many saying that Wickham played them off the park on a better side would have probably beat them. It's a performance that sums up how Bristol City are really doing at the moment, because they're not really impressing. Having said that, a Bristol City fan put together a full 11 of the players they have injured at the moment. And I'm not joking when I say that side would probably finish in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's re- <sighs> There have been plenty of sides who have had injury problems this season, particularly this season with the number of games we're playing. But Bristol City have got a fair argument to say they've been the worst affected. Uh, After the game, Gareth Ainsworth was still positive, as per usual. He said he can't work out how they lost, and he would have been even disappointed with the draw. And I just feel sorry for him because he's such a nice man, and I just want him to be happy, Justin. Unfortunately, (laughs) the reality is, it's another game where Wickham have maybe undeservingly lost.
2: Uh, well, that, that, that it comes down to quality, doesn't it? And they don't possess that quality. I read a stat that Akinfenwa has had the most shots in the Championship this season without scoring, and that staggered me because Akin Akinfenwa, at times, has been one of the most dangerous players in the Championship. Um, Do you know what it on- is?
1: It, it's because the the ball get constantly gets crossed into him and he just heads it, and it counts as a shot, even though it's probably <laughs> not got much chance of actually scoring. That's my theory, anyway.
2: OK. M- maybe come a bit on. harsh on, on the, on the big man himself, but when he's come on, he's changed games for Wickham. And um, perhaps if they had someone who's in their prime—no disrespect to him—he's thirty-five. Um, you know, yeah. someone who's in their prime, a bit like Jeju. You know, he comes on and he scores. That's what they need. Um, but that, whether the budget stretches to that or not, I don't know. It's it's, it's unfortunate for them, and it's going to, you know, going to it's going to keep being unfortunate for them until they get the right players in who can compete at this level.
1: Acquafredda is actually thirty-eight so you're doing him a disservice really. there you go Uh, and finally in possibly the most predictable 0-0 ever Coventry 0 Stoke 0 I say it's the most predictable 0-0 ever because Stoke have conceded just once in 8 games and Coventry have conceded 5 goals in 10 games so no surprises in this case but Stoke should have won this really shouldn't
2: they yes um, it's 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 another one where you go because again a bit like Coventry they've had too many draws in the last eight games or so and obviously with Stoke players are starting to come back um, they've got enough even in some of their res- reserves with you know inverted commas you know, players like Tom Ince who should be doing a, a bit more against t- teams like this or having an impact against teams like this so yeah a, a draw is not the best result
1: No just going back to what I was saying about Stoke's defence it is pretty amazing really mm. when They've got two young lads in the back line, Nathan Collins and Harry Suter, who are playing out of their skin this season. Those two I've spoken at length about in the past and they've got big futures. Someone I've not spoken about is the goalkeeper joseph bersik who is also just a young lad 20 years old which is exceptionally young for a goalkeeper playing week and week in week out in the championship but he's been marvelous recently for those who aren't aware he was basically drafted in after injuries to the other goalkeepers adam davies and adam angus gunn so bersik's had to come in he started off a bit shaky there was some that he let in and i thought maybe he could have done better but now he looks like an established championship keeper and We were talking about the number of clean sheets he's had recently. It's not like he's been stuck between the sticks with nothing to do. He's been caught into action a fair few times and really had to step up to the plate. And he's done it superbly. And he's now given Michael O'Neill a bit of a problem. Because when Adam Davies comes back, does he put him back in? Or does he stick with the promising young talent who's been one of the best goalkeepers in the championship over the past few weeks? It's something to think about. And I tell you what. While we're here talking about defences, let's give some praise to Coventry's because they probably deserve it even more. After their first 11 games, they conceded 23 goals, which was the seventh worst defensive record ever in the championship after 11 games ever, Justin. And they've gone from conceding 23 goals in 11 games to five goals in the last 10, which is some turnaround. In that time, Coventry have only lost once. Most of them draws, but it's helped create some breathing space between themselves and the bottom three, which is all you could have asked for if you were Mark Robbins. If they maintain that defensive solidity, then they could continue to creep away. One concern they would be Tyler Walker looks like he's going to be out for a while with injury, which is not ideal when... You are being defensively solid, but you also need to be scoring goals at the other end, don't you? Um, right, let's do it. Who Knows Wins. This is our league where you can win money from correctly predicting the results of championship games. It's really easy to do. Just download the Who Knows Wins app, join our league guess the most correct results out of all the games in the championship the more people involved the bigger the prize this week's winner was xg sports who took home 90 pounds after getting eight correct results from 10 the win pot was 210 pounds so that's been split out between a fair few of you so well done if you did take home anything from this week justin you got five correct results which is not bad going at all Mm. i got four also not too bad so i'm fairly happy with that but it leaves me moneyless which is not good enough in my book but either way let's go through some of the uh, games from the next round of fixtures they are on the 29th which is tuesday i know around this period everyone starts to lose track of what day it is but either way keep track it's two days time uh, from the time of recording we'll start off with birmingham derby justin which way are you going there
2: I'm going to go with a draw.
1: I will go with Birmingham. I don't know why. Millwall, Watford. Going to go. Never Watford. mind. Never mind. That one's been postponed. Just realised. Chef Wednesday, <laughs> Borough. Uh, oh, uh, Borough. I'll go Borough as well. Huddersfield, Blackburn.
2: I'm going to go Huddersfield.
1: I'll go draw. Luton, Bristol City. Going to go draw. Luton for me. Norwich, QPR.
2: I'm going to go Norwich. It's got to be Norwich,
1: hasn't mm. it? Preston Coventry. Ooh,
2: I'm going to go Coventry.
1: I'll go Coventry as well, you know. Rotherham, Barnsley. Barnsley. Is that game been called off as well? I feel like it might have. I don't know. Uh, if, if it's going ahead, I'll go Barnsley. Wickham Cardiff. I'm going to go Wickham. Uh, really? OK, yeah. I'll go Cardiff. Stoke Forest.
2: Um, draw.
1: Uh, stoke for me uh, on Wednesday we've got Brentford Bournemouth
2: oh wow what a tie um, massive game. that's tricky I'm going to go Brentford
1: I'll go draw Swansea Reading
2: Swansea
1: it's got to be Swansea ain't it right that's who knows when so make sure you join our league to win some big prizes the deadline is 5.30 on Tuesday so make sure you join before then now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news and Watford have appointed Dynamo Tbilisi manager Isko Munoz as their new head coach after sacking Vladimir Ivic. This was annoyingly announced about two hours after last week's episode came out. So cheers for that, Watford. Thanks a bunch. Um, promising signs so far, though, wasn't it?
2: Yep, it was a, it was a shift in performance, as we said earlier. Um, shifting performance and, you know, as, as I said, simplified. Um, that's all they need to do with this Watford side because it's a good, Good team, start with good players, um, so just just play, just play better. Yeah, just play better. Uh, after the government rejigged
1: its tier system, again, it means Bournemouth are now the only club in the Championship who are allowed fans. Although how long that will last, we'll have to wait and see. The PFA has written to Sheffield Wednesday for clarity over when the club's players will receive their outstanding wages. November salaries were capped at £7,000 because of the owner's cash flow issues. It's reported that there's growing concern over the issue, especially with the transfer window opening up. Um, Let's leave that one there just and I feel like you have something to say on the next one ownership issues again cast your mind back listener to last week when we told you how Derby released a statement saying the takeover at the club would be done before Christmas this is after months and months of the word being that the deal is nearly done well guess what it's past Christmas now and the deal's still not done what is going on
2: well you know Derby are going to toe the line of you know it's all to do with lawyers it's all going to be paperwork they're going to condescend everybody saying that but you know I think it was Sunderland actually They've got their takeover done. Um, it can't be that hard. If someone wants to sell and there's a buyer and everything's fine, EFL have ratified it, why is that to sort out?
1: I don't know. I don't know how this works, but it seems ridiculous that they keep telling us it's nearly done
4: well, and then
2: it just carries on. They, they, they even briefed Rooney um, a while back when he first, when he was first um, appointed a permanent temporary manager, whatever it is, Um saying it was going to be done in the the week that he was appointed it'd be done in 48 hours that's the only outstanding thing because you know i'm, I'm pro rooney appoint him but this this takeover needs to be settled we need something long term and um, it's been uh, what one month nearly two months without a manager now it's pathetic
1: Yeah, you need certainty, don't you, at a football club, especially when you're in the situation that Derby's in at the moment. Uh, Bournemouth midfielder Jefferson Lerma has been charged with a biting offence by the FA. It's alleged to have happened during their 1-0 loss to Wednesday in November, and Lerma has denied the accusations. Have you ever tried to bite someone during a football match, Justin?
2: It's never crossed my mind, Um, but now, you know, is it effective? Does it work?
1: What do you get out of it? What do you get out of it? What would Mm. it take for you to bite another human being?
2: for them to be made of chocolate i don't know <laughs> <laughs> that's the only reason i think if they weren't and an actual human there's a chocolate th- it, it, being i don't know i tell it's you weird.
1: what it, it's a fair point it is a very fair point it's, it's uh, just weird isn't it sorry <laughs> I, I just i just don't know why you do it I, I just don't ever understand the motivation for biting another person
2: maybe he's teething
1: yeah that like a biting. toddler yeah of course <laughs> uh, Christmas is the time for giving Justin and we've had loads of players given new contracts Bradley Dack Bartosz Bielkowski Marcus Force Mark Boller they're amongst the players Carlos Corbrand signed a new deal at Huddersfield which is really good news isn't it because he's done a fabulous job so far at the Terriers hasn't he
2: yeah he has and the one that Also needs to be ratified is they need to throw years at Steve Cooper at Swansea as well.
1: Right, it's time for the polls. So on our Twitter at the start of recording, we put out three questions that we wanted to get your opinions on. So the first question was, is the Swansea defence from this season better than the Leeds defence from last season? Both very good in their own right, but which one would you say is better, Justin?
2: such a hard debate. Um, I want to say the Leeds won of last season, mainly because the league seemed a bit tougher last season um, and the way the, the the press helped them a lot, whereas Swansea, I think, it was very organised.
1: Mm, I know what you mean. Uh, 55% said Swansea, 45% said Leeds. So, Swansea winning that one. Which goal was better, Will Volks from his own half or Sergi Canos's volley?
2: I've already said this. It's, it's the, yeah. the Canos volley.
1: Yeah, it's the volley for me as well, but Will Volk's from his own half got 69%, so it's a bit of a round. It's more spectacular, I get it. Yeah, it is more spectacular, but the volley was harder. And finally, do Yorkshire puddings belong in a Christmas dinner, yes or no?
2: I had Yorkshire puddings in my Christmas dinner this year.
1: I've always had them in, and I didn't realise this was a debatable subject until Mm. I saw people on Twitter arguing about it. 72% of people said yes, 28% said no i don't know why you wouldn't have a yorkshire pudding it's a fantastic part of a roast dinner isn't it a,
2: yeah a, a christmas dinner is just a roast dinner with cranberry sauce and pigs in blankets isn't it
1: you're absolutely right i could not agree more justin on that note it's not christmas anymore let's forget about it
2: right now it's time for this
6: <laughs> hi simon grayson Edge.
1: So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Stephen Toplis from the Forest Ramble and Jacob Robinson from Canary Cast. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name the eight youngest managers in the championship and Justin would say Carlos Corporan, that's one down, and Jacob would say Alex Neil, that's another down. But if Stephen would say Neil Warnock, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, gents, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So this week, I'm looking for the eight biggest stadiums in the championship. Simple as that. It's based on capacity, obviously. So we shall start off with Justin. Go on, Justin. Can you name me one of the biggest stadiums in the championship, please?
2: This might be one of the easier uh, weeks this week, but then again, might just shot myself in the foot. I'm going to go with Hillsborough to start with.
1: Yes, Hillsborough is the biggest in the championship at just under 40,000. Jacob, you can go next. Can you name me a big stadium in the championship?
3: Um, I'm going to say Pride Park. Derby must be up there, surely.
1: Yeah, Pride Park is joint third biggest at 33,000. Stephen, one from you, please.
4: I'm going to go close to home and say the city ground.
1: That's very close to home. City Ground 30,000. You are absolutely right. Justin, another big stadium, please.
4: Um,
2: I, I'm not going to say I'm struggling, but I'm, also, I'm just sort of like, I don't know where, where the next biggest one is. Um, you questioning Carver, yourself. Yeah, well, Coverage don't play the Rico anymore. As I said, the Rico. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Ashton Gate. It's not easy.
1: <laughs> You know when you were saying this is one of the easiest. Oh, ones, for God's sake! <laughs> about thirty <laughs> seconds ago, Ashton Gate is not on there, which is very funny. So right. Justin's out. <laughs> <To you>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. The champion's um, gone. <laughs> <no>. Yeah. <laughs> well, <well> on, <done>, Justin, <laughs> you, you've just shown us all up. Well done,
3: mate. Uh,
1: Jacob, can you name me a big stadium, please?
3: I'm not actually sure what the name of it is now. I mean, Am I easy to say the Cardiff City Stadium, or is it something else? Because I don't don't know what the whole um, ownership, what it's actually called.
1: <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Cardiff City Stadium, 33,000. So you've got one, two, four left. Steve, Where's the
3: Cardiff hi- City Stadium? Where is that in the list?
1: That is 33,000, so also joint third. Okay, cool. So, Stephen, one from you, please.
4: Um... Uh... The Riverside Stadium, Middlesbrough.
1: Riverside Stadium is thirty-four thousand. That is the second biggest stadium in the Championship. You've got three left, and you're getting towards the tricky end now because it's all quite close together round here at the bottom. Um, Jacob, one from you, please. Oh,
3: I want. I want to say Cow Road, but I believe that's not going to be big enough. That's, Are 27, you say Road? that's twenty-seven. That's twenty-seven thousand. I can't. <sighs> yeah, go on. I think I might have shot myself in the foot.
1: Carrot Road is 2,000 seats short. <sighs> so you're just wrong, which is quite <laughs> unfortunate. But, Stephen, it's all down to you. It's all on your shoulders. All you need to do is name me the three remaining biggest stadiums in the championship. Can you do
4: it? Um, I'm thinking, have we... Would it be mentioned the Medeski, Reading?
1: The Medeski Stadium is five thousand seats short. Unfortunately, it's twenty four thousand. So, lads, you've all failed quite miserably as well. <laughs> just after <laughs> Justin, just after Justin was saying it's one of the easier ones <laughs> that we've had on oh. Simon Grayson's Hateful Late. Uh, the ones that you didn't get were Ewood Park, which is thirty one thousand. Wow.
4: No way. Uh, that was that
1: but, big. Yeah. I, I didn't realize it was that big either, in fairness. Uh, Bet365 Stadium, 30,000, uh, 30, sorry. And St Andrews is 29,000, which is ironic after Justin said uh, Coventry. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. I just,
2: it's like I forgot the carbon copy stadiums in Pride Park and Riverside and then immediately went to Coventry and then didn't realize that they played at St Andrews. And I should have said St Andrews. <laughs> You've had a mayor. Yeah, Quite it's not. It's not, been a, it's not been a good, uh, a good, uh, a good day for me. I apologise to everybody.
1: It's all right. You've put shame upon your whole family, though. Right, right, this has been the second tier podcast, as usual. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Thursday, which is that New Year's Eve. It is New Year's Eve, so you'll have a New Year's Eve special nice. from me and Justin. So we look forward to seeing you then. Otherwise, Stephen, thank you for your time today, and have a happy New Year.
4: Thanks, guys. Happy New Year to you
1: jacob robinson from canary cast thank you for your time and have a happy new year
3: thanks chaps and you look forward to coming on again
1: soon oh, it'll be our pleasure this has been the second tier podcast i'm ryan dilks i'll be Justin peach thank you for listening